It was Darren Cocker and Rats that said, are you interested in maybe having a discussion? And I jumped at that opportunity because as an outsider at that point, I loved what the Roos did all year. I knew it was a great fit when I walked into the club and a great fit for a new challenge for me personally and to learn and develop and be in a, another great team. And I'm just so excited to get to work. Yeah, big coup for North Melbourne. Welcome back to the show. That's the voice of Libby Birch. So Premiership player with the Western Bulldogs, Premiership player with Melbourne. She was one of the big names to change clubs in the AFLW trade period. She's off to the runners-up North Melbourne from next season. Riley Beveridge has been all over the AFLW trade period from afl.com.au and he joins me this morning. Hello, Riles. G'day, Jules. How are you going? Very well. Now, we sit on trade radio during the AFL trade period, and sometimes it's a little bit slow and we're just waiting for things to happen. Not the case in the AFLW trade period. No, it's not. 41 players moved clubs over the last week. It's a week-long trade period as well, so it's shorter time than in the men's, and they had to get the deals done. Of course, it was sort of punctuated by that 11-club, 12-player trade that went down half an hour before the deadline yesterday, which is... I don't know about you, Jules, but I've been covering trade periods both in men's and women's football for probably five, ten years now, and I've never seen anything like it. It's, it's just, the logistics of 11 clubs to get together and do that deal were quite remarkable, and I was staggered that they actually managed to figure it out. Unbelievable. So 11 teams, 12 players, and 24 picks being swapped. So uh, Adelaide, Brisbane, Collingwood, Essendon, Fremantle. Gold Coast, Melbourne, Port Adelaide, Richmond, West Coast, and the Western Bulldogs all involved. You feel a bit snubbed if you you weren't involved in that one. But was there one or two clubs that were the catalyst for, for getting this going in the first place? Yes, yeah, so I think essentially what had happened was going into the final day, there was probably 12 or 13 players that were still on the trade table. And there'd been stalemates across the comp. As I mentioned before, it's a, it's a week-long trade period. It goes for seven days. These talks had been going, everyone knew where they were going seven days ago, but, but no resolutions had been made across the entirety of the competition. So on Wednesday night, I reckon I heard for the first time that the Western Bulldogs had started going to a handful of clubs, maybe five, six, seven clubs, and saying, hey, could we try and get the majority of these 13, 12 or 13 players that are still on the table to their clubs in the one deal? Uh, by Thursday morning, that had ballooned out to 11 clubs with a couple just getting in there purely for pick swaps. So West Coast and Brisbane got in there purely for pick swaps. And, and I think Collingwood drove it a lot of it as well. So Collingwood and the Western Bulldogs were certainly two of the clubs that drove the, the mechanics of it. But the interesting part of it was that making calls to clubs and player managers yesterday, no one knew any of the details. So such was the, the tension between the clubs, given that everything was at loggerheads in the days before no one knew what any other club was getting. They knew what they were getting and they knew what they were giving up, but they didn't know what the club next to them was getting or giving up. And everyone was very tight-lipped. It wasn't until about 1.30 when the trade was eventually lodged with the AFL that it started gaining a bit of traction that, oh, I think this, this club's getting that, this club's getting that. And that's when the word started getting out and we were able to break the story on AFL.com.au. But it was certainly a, a pretty crazy sort of six hours leading up to it because when you started hearing an 11-club, 12-player trade was going down. I think your first instinct is to think, oh, there's no way that happens. That'll just fall over somehow. But incredibly, they managed to get it up. Yeah, it's put the uh, the mega trade last year we saw in the in the men's competition with Jason Horn francis and West Coast and Port Adelaide and North Melbourne and GWS were all involved. Let's put that uh, in the shadows. Might be a bit hard to say at this stage, Riley, but in that sort of mega trade, is there one club that might co- will come out the winner at the end of the day? 
Yeah, it's, it's an interesting question. It's hard to piece it together because you're looking at it in totality and you're thinking, well, there's just so much to process here. But there's certainly a couple of clubs that spring to mind um, that, that would be wrapped with the work they're able to do as part of it. So I'll look at a club like Richmond, for example. Richmond brought in Montana McKinnon. Um, they started Thursday with picks 11 and 29 and, and they weren't able to find middle ground with Adelaide. They, they wanted to give up a pick in the 20s, but they couldn't do a pick swap. But in the end, they were able to get McKinnon sliding back from... Uh, 11 to 13, and then also giving out 29. So, so they really did some good work there. I also look at Melbourne. Now, Melbourne was an interesting club throughout the entire trade period because they've been so successful for so long, and it was obviously they're in a transition period where a couple of players were, were let go. But the sticking point in negotiations with Essendon around Matty Gay was that Melbourne was adamant they wanted pick 13 from Essendon for Matty Gay. Essendon never wanted to give up pick 13 and didn't have it on the table for so long throughout the day and or throughout the week, sorry. And, uh, and ultimately, Melbourne were able to get pick 12 as part of the deal. So even though Essendon were reluctant to give up 13, they end up getting ahead of them, ahead of the Bombers anyway. So they were able to do that trade there and get pick 12 for Matty Gay. So the Demons were able to get exactly what they wanted from the deal as well. So they're just a couple of clubs I think will look at it at the end of the day and think, yeah, we're pretty satisfied with how this played out. Speaking with Riley Beveridge from afl.com.au, AFLW trade period wrapped up yesterday. The draft is next week. Just on player movement in the AFLW as a whole, Riley. Quite often, some feedback we get when we talk about AFLW, that's seen as a, as a negative, that there's so many players move around clubs. Why is it so prominent in AFLW? And is this just in the infancy of, of the 18 league team, uh, competition? Or do you think this is something that will continue to be you know, quite active in this space in AFLW for quite some time to come? No, I think the fact that the competition is in its infancy does play into it in some sense because I think what we find with AFLW is the good players who have established themselves as the genuine elite players in the competition, they're the ones that make so much difference on the footy field. Obviously, there's only 16 teams, so their influence is high, 16 on the ground at any one time, so their influence on the game is higher. Um, but the, the tiers below that, the, the rank of players below that, it's far more even across the entirety of the competition. So you can make a few moves here and there and you're able to then um, sort of improve your list in some way. I also think, I think it will start to sort of plateau in the next couple of years now that the CBA has been announced because clubs have been able to sign longer-term contracts. So you're seeing like Elise Parker, for example, at the Giants sign a four-year deal through to 2027. Um, you're seeing Zali Goldsworthy do stuff like that as well. And Kate Hoare at Melbourne signed through to 2027. So their futures are locked away now until 2027. Up until that point, they've, they've almost been on rolling one-year contracts and there has been that insecurity. And, and also, in turn, there's been that ability to move clubs because they are out of contract at the end of every year. So I think now that the CBA has been completed, it was signed earlier this year, they're able to have the security of longer-term contracts. We'll see a bit more settled uh, player movement. I think I think there'll be less players move clubs in the in the years to come. I think the reason why there has been so much to begin with is because the competition's been in its infancy and there has been so much insecurity around longer-term deals. A lot of pick swapping, so it means the first round of the draft next week looks very different. Tough year for the Western Bulldogs, of course, and it saw the departure of their coach, Nathan Burke. But they got a nice little draft hand. Pick one, four, six, and 11. Yeah, and it's going to be interesting to see how they sort of use those picks at the draft because it's an interesting draft. Next Monday night is when it rolls around because there's a number of players from interstate that have 
requested to, to go nationally, so they're available to anyone across the entire competition. But it is still a state-based draft. So if you do want to stay in the state where you're from, you can nominate as a state-based player and you can only go to, to clubs within that state. So it'll be interesting to see how they use those first four picks because they look to take a player from, from interstate who has nominated nationally um, in order to get them before a club within their own state gets them. There's a lot of tactics and there's a lot of movement in that draft space. So that'll be interesting to watch. There's also been about eight or nine uh, players that have been pre-listed as part of the expansion rules for those four new clubs that came in a couple of a couple of years ago, of course, with uh, with Port Adelaide, Essendon, Hawthorne and the like. So uh, it's going to be an interesting draft. You can catch it all on afl.com.au next Monday night, Jules. I'll be on the coverage so you can watch it all there. I'll give that a plug. Uh, but it's going to be yeah, interesting to see how it unfolds. Absolutely. Uh, the state-based draft, how long will that be a, um, a factor or, or, or a method they used in, in the draft? Yeah, I think still for another couple of years. I mean, I think, I think the, the hesitation is because it's uh, not a professional league yet and there's no full-time mm. athletes yet asking someone to, to move halfway across the country uh, when it's only a sort of short-term contract and adds a bit more insecurity in terms of their work away from footy as well. So I think we're probably still waiting another couple of years until the competition goes fully professional and we're able to have full-time athletes in this space. I think that's when we'll see a national draft. And I think that's probably the right the right measure. But, but what we have seen this year, I think there's been over 600 girls that have nominated for the AFLW draft. I think 70% of them are now nominating nationally. So it just goes to show that there is a greater intention from these draftees to move into state to 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 experience the full uh, sort of football football life wherever it takes them um, like the boys have done for a number of years so I think it's growing it, it's certainly the highest number that, that um, the AFL's recorded I think in terms of the seventy percent that have nominated nationally so we're edging closer to it I think Jules. Uh, your good friend and colleague, Cal Toomey, we've been talking about his story today, uh, the Braden Maynard rule in inverted commas, and also the potential crackdown on on rundown tackles, which to me is going to be the one that has the bigger impact in 2024 because for mine, that Braden Maynard incident was so unusual. We probably won't see one like that again next year. Yeah, I mean, it was unusual. I've got a, I've got a strange take on this, Jules, and I want, to get, I want to get your take on this as well because... I'm, you know me, I'm a massive soccer fan as well. And the rule always there has been, if you go in for a sliding tackle and you, you're late to the ball and you miss the ball, then, then you're, you're at fault yep. in that instance. You can get a red card if you're late to a tackle. So I, I generally have had the opinion that the rule should be, it doesn't matter if you're spoiling, if you're bumping, if you're trying to smother, if you're late to the ball and you injure the opponent, you're liable for that. So... I can kind of see where the AFL is going with this rule a little bit. I think that's the case in every sport, essentially. If you're late to execute yep. what is otherwise a perfectly legal tackle or legal action, then you you can be punished for it. So I can kind of see where they're coming from that front. I don't know what your take on it is. But no, I'm with you on that. That's my opinion on it. Mm, no, I'm with you on that 100%. And uh, we've seen it with other incidents, you know. Go back a few years ago, Paddy Dangerfield's a perfect bump on Jake Kelly, but it was just a little bit too late. And therefore... Uh, he has to uh, wear the consequences. Just uh, one other part of the story, which I'm a little bit confused about. Now, apologies if you can't clear it up for me, but what's this <laughs> prohibiting club officials from whistling or making other such noises to communicate from the interchange that interrupt broadcast audio? What does would that mean? Be, <laughs> would it be a, a concern around players thinking it's the umpire's whistle or fans at home thinking Potentially. it's the umpire's whistle? I've got to say, I've, it's never it's never been something that's 
uh, crossed my mind when I'm watching a game at home, thinking, I, I don't know who's blown that whistle. I can't imagine that. But it must have come from some type of feedback somewhere that it can be interfering and a little bit disturbing for players out in the field. So that must be where it's come from. It must have been done with some type of feedback, I'd imagine. Now, one before I let you go, you did mention you're a big soccer fan. Uh, score prediction, Anfield this weekend, Liverpool versus Manchester United? Um. I'd take the smallest possible win. Which what is are you talking about? Year. You beat no, them seven no, nil there last year. I was going to say, given last year, I'd take eight. I'd take eight. Just, <laughs> <laughs> your confidence in the Reds never disappears. Uh, Riles, uh, always uh, appreciate your time. Well done with all the reporting on uh, the AFLW trade period. And uh, we look forward to the coverage on afl.com.au on Monday night of the draft. Thank you, Julian. Always great to chat to Riley Beveridge. You can read his work, afl.com.au. Okay, let's get a breakaway. It's a big weekend of racing. Uh, Damien Oliver says farewell uh, over in Perth. There's some good racing in Melbourne as well. The Magic Man, Miles Fitzner from SEN Track, will join us after the break to take us through all his selections. This is the captain's run for state transport. Our people are your solution. And for Essendon Nissan, looking after you and your family's motoring. Essendon Nissan, too easy. You can find them at Wirraway Road, Essendon Fields.